You may be seated. Wow, that was powerful. I... Oh, thank you. I know we changed things up, so I appreciate you guys bringing that. We, uh, okay, so last Friday night, I want to talk to you about it because, oh my goodness, I have been in ministry for 28 years. I have never seen any church I've ever been at ask for an encore. They would not go home. They said, no, Nick, do, it a, do another song. And um, it was, <laughs> I know. It was pretty intense. It was so fun. Awesome, right? Yeah, you want to do it again in the fall? Yeah, we'll do it again. I agree, because you know what? There's something special about just lifting the name of Jesus. It wasn't about us. It wasn't about our church. It wasn't about anything except Jesus. Do what you want to do. And we prayed, and we sang, and we got in groups, and we confessed to the Lord, not to each other. That would have been a little awkward then. Um, it, was, it was awesome. So uh, I, I'm, I'm excited. This past week was, was incredibly rich uh, for me. So many things happened. You know, we, we met on Friday, but on Thursday night, um, our vision team had got together. And um, wow, you know, we're, we're getting excited about what, what God is doing, about him unifying our church around, around our mission of what Jesus said to do. Do you know what his final words, right before he ascended to heaven, do you know what his final words were? Go and make disciples of all nations. And we could spend our whole lives, our whole church existence, just unpacking what does it mean to go? What does it mean to make disciples? You know, and for us, I mean, we said, we, we, we keep using the term in our vision team about going and growing. Go and reach people. Help people discover life and hope and joy in Jesus Christ. And then help them grow into mature followers of Jesus, not by themselves, but together as, as one body. And if we're faithful to Jesus' call, we have to be a people that leave the building, share the hope and life that we have everywhere we go, and, and then help people follow Jesus with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, that mission, it's not up for debate. This one, this one was given to us on high. We know this is what we have to be. This is the kind of people that we have to be. And so what we're doing in our vision team meeting is, is figuring out what does that look like for Avalon Church to fulfill this mandate, this call that Jesus has given us. So that we, and, and how can we help every single ministry in our church do the same? That's what we get to talk about, and it has been beautiful. It has been slow. They have been so gracious with me um, and so patient, and you have been patient. Thank you. Uh, this process, it is taking a long time, but, you know, it's kind of like we're, we're trying to build the bicycle while we're riding the bicycle, you know, and it's like we're doing all this stuff, but then you have to work on stuff to do, and, and, it's, and it does. There's a lot going on. Um, two things I wanted to share with you right now that are going on in the midst of all this chaos. As part of our discipleship or growing aspect, you know, we've put together, I talked about it last week, a trip to Israel. Sorry, brochures, more, you took way more than we expected. There are plenty out there now. Um, but we're going to be taking a trip to Israel next uh, a year like next year, towards the end of 2019. And um, we have a, a meeting, an info meeting right after 
the service to talk about it. We're going to do a couple of these, and no, they're not required. They're just to give you an opportunity to, to you know, hear a little bit more detail and to ask some questions. But we also, we have a women's retreat coming up that I wanted to, ladies, I really want you to hear about this because... The facilitators of the treat of the of the retreat are a treat. <laughs> the facilitators of the retreat, they're amazing. How do I know? Because I'm married to one of them. <laughs> and Pastor Jim is married to the other one. And uh, so Raylan and Debbie are gonna be the facilitators of this retreat. And um, ladies, it's gonna be awesome. I want to encourage you, go to the website, register before uh, before the end of July. Because you're not going to want to miss it. And I know that Ray Lynn said she was going to, she's in guest services today. And so if you have any questions, you can go out there, ask her, and she will be happy to answer any questions. Um, why do I tell you all of that? Just to be a commercial? No. See, we're Jesus' family. We are his local body right here in our area. We're his hands and feet in Avalon Park. He, I don't know why he chooses us because we're a mess all the time. But he chooses his people to be his tangible presence in the community together. See, we, we need each other. We, we can't do this alone. There, there are no Lone Ranger Christians that are effective. There's a lot of Lone Ranger Christians. They're just, they're not effective. We, we really are a body. To fulfill the calling, it takes every single one of us working together. See, the church, I'm, I'm gonna get a pet peeve here, and I promise I'll get into the text in a minute. The church, we are not merely a place that provides spiritual services to consumers. That's not what we are. We really are a family that loves God together, that lifts up the name of Jesus together, that goes together. I mean, we really do. We, we serve together. We sacrifice together. We, we we sacrifice even financially together so that we can accomplish more ministry and do more for the, the kingdom than we could by us being individuals. We meet needs in the community. We reach and truly grow people. I, I, I think we forget sometimes the, that we have hope and life that people are desperate for. I mean... When you, when you look around our communities, when you look even amongst this family, you see, you, you see families struggling. Sometimes it's just financially because they lost a job. Sometimes it's a divorce that, just, that, that causes families to struggle deeply. And people need others to walk with them, to be sharing that God has not forgotten them, that he is walking with them. You know, we get to offer community to people who are lonely. We, we get to offer hope to people whose lives are broken. There are people all around us who are just in bondage to addictions or destructive behavior that they don't want to be, they just don't know how to get out and they need help, they need hope and they need life. Do you realize that we know who that life is in? So, I mean, is, is that not worthy of, of spending our whole lives pursuing that call? That call right there, it is worth it's worth our whole lives. I'm going to be sharing some more about our vision in the coming weeks, but I want you to know something. I want you to be certain of something, that God is working in this place. And when I say this place, please know I never mean a building. I mean this group of people right here. God is working and he's moving, and I'm excited about our future. I really am. Let's, let's pray together, and then we'll get into to Acts 17 today. Lord, thank you that you have 
called us to participate with you in this mission. I, I am astounded that you count us worthy of your investment, but you do, and we're grateful. Thank you for doing all that needed to be done, dying on the cross, rising again, so that we could, we could walk with you and be a part of this. But, oh God, I pray that you help us it's so easy for us to be selfish. It's so easy, easy that for us to forget why we are here and to get all wrapped up into our own issues and help us, God, to see the world, see our lives through your eyes. As we sang just a few minutes ago, give us faith to follow you passionately with our whole heart. And I pray, Lord, that you will do what you want to do in this time. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. You know, this month we're in, we are finishing the book of Acts this month, and um, it's sad for me because I, I've never preached through a, the whole book of Acts before, and I have learned so much. It's been so good. And lately we've, we've heard that, uh, or we, we've kind of learned that Christianity um, went from this time where it was a Jewish religion all the way until it became a religion, or a, a, not even a religion, a relationship. People could follow Jesus from anywhere. It was open to all people. And when that happened, when, when a couple of weeks ago when we talked about that Jerusalem council where the, the Jewish leaders said, nope, <clears throat> everybody's welcome, that set a fire free. That I mean, Paul and his, his partners and, and the other uh, Christians, they just started sharing this message with everybody and anybody. And it is astounding what happened as a result. They took advantage of the freedom that they had, and Jesus changed so many lives. And today's message, we're going to begin just the last couple of messages in this phase where Paul, the Apostle Paul, joins various other leaders to, to begin starting churches all around the known world. And you know me, and I love maps, and so I'm going to show you a map because that's what I do. And, um, but I wanted to show you this map because at the beginning of Paul's ministry, when he was with Barnabas, he kind of stayed in the eastern Mediterranean, kind of... Um, uh, you know, very Eastern kind of mindset, very Eastern kind of thinking. But after the Jerusalem Council, again, it, they were set free. And so they started traveling all over. Where you, I don't know if you can see the green, but man, they, they left the East and they started going West all in Greece. Now, Greece is a very different culture than the East. And I didn't know that would rhyme, but that was pretty cool. Greece is, is very Western thinking, where Paul grew up in a very Eastern-minded culture. So he had never, I mean, he had never seen a culture like, like Greece. I mean, because you think about it, for those of you who took philosophy in, in college or whatever, um, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, these are the guys who, who came up out of the culture of Greece. Athens was kind of the center, and that's exactly where Paul was going to head, in Athens. And Pastor William, he's going to share next week that great story of Paul in the city of Athens, in the kind of the, the center of Western culture. I mean, most of us might not even be aware, but we are, we think the way we do because of these Greeks. We think so much more Western than what Paul and, and his, 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 his group of people were thinking. So on the way to Athens, they stop in this city called Thessalonica, which is kind of up in the top left of the circle. And, and let's go ahead and start reading in Acts chapter 17. It says that when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, don't worry about it, they came to the city of Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. 
In verse 2, it says, As his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, so for three weeks, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. And so, just kind of let you know, Everywhere Paul went, he had a strategy. He would always go to the Jewish synagogue, um, the local Jewish synagogue in every city that he went to because there were Jewish synagogues everywhere. And it was a good starting place. It was a good home base because do you remember what Paul did before he became a follower of Jesus? He was a Pharisee and he was a persecutor of those, those early Christians. And so because he was a Pharisee by training, everywhere he went, he was always asked to share. Oh, we have a Pharisee. We have like, you know, like a really smart guy in our midst. And he's a Pharisee from like the East, you know, where, where Judaism, where, where it was centered. And so, yeah, please, Paul, come share with us, talk. And he always did. And his message was always the same because he always talked about God Sending that promised Messiah, the one that they were, they were hoping for, longing for, praying that, would, that this Messiah would come and set them free from Roman oppression. But he, every time he was telling the story, the story always took this unexpected turn because no one expected Messiah to die on a cross. No one. That was a scandal. And, and that one blew them away. But then Paul would always go in and start showing them how in, the, in their ancient scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, what they call the Tanakh, in the old scriptures, you could see over and over how it was already foretold that Jesus or the Messiah was going to suffer and die for the sins of his people. But that's not where the story ended. Oh, no. Messiah then had victory not, over, not just over sin, but also over death death when Jesus rose from the dead. And then, so, and then Paul shared how hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses saw the resurrected Jesus standing there, talking to them, eating with them, walking with them. And then Paul shared that he himself had witnessed the resurrected Jesus. I mean, he was a persecutor of Christians. But when Jesus came to him, it changed his life so radically that he now was one of the followers of Jesus who was willing to suffer and die for that name. And for Paul, and this is important, for Paul, the gospel was a story that led to one declaration, that Jesus, the Christ, another word for Messiah, is Lord. And everywhere Paul shared that story, people responded. Let's look at how that some in verse 4 responded. It says, some of the Jews were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. So some of the Jews were convinced. This made sense. They were expecting the Messiah. And so you would kind of expect some of them to, to hear the story and, and read the scriptures and go, Paul's right. And what he experienced is true. And so they accepted, or they chose to follow Jesus. But I find it fascinating that the Greeks, they were also persuaded. Because, I mean, again, we're in, we're in the West. We are in Greece why would, why would a bunch of Greeks choose to follow a Jewish Messiah? It's a, it's a, a baffling question because you go, something had to be happening here. And, and really, I think two things were. Paul obviously had earned their respect. He had earned their trust. He, he truly had sacrificed for them. He paid his own way everywhere he went. Or he got helpers from the east 
to help pay his way as he went around and started these churches. And he suffered for these churches. He, they, he, would, he would share, and then he would be beat because he shared. And then he would come back the next day and share again. And, and his companions did the same. Paul truly loved these people. He was meeting them. He was staying with them for weeks or months, for some of them a couple of years at a time. And they grew to love Paul because they recognized that he loved them. He would eat with them and pray with them. He respected these Greek men and women as equals, which is very different than how they were treated by other, the Jewish synagogues. So when Paul shared his story, they were captivated. They trusted him and they believed. But there's a second reason I think that these, these Greeks were coming to follow the Jewish Messiah. They were drawn by God. They were. They were drawn by God, and then they, they said yes. You know, I, I think I've shared this before, but when I was 15, I was not a churchgoer, but I was a good kid. And I was invited to some event, and there I heard the words that pierced my heart. And it's so funny as I look back, but he said, no Jesus, no change. No change, no Jesus. And basically all he said is, you think you might be good, you think you might be bad, but if you've, nev if, if you've never had this, this change in your life, you probably have never met Jesus. Well, the reason that was so important is because I would have said, I'm good and I'm okay. God and I are fine because I'm good enough. But when he said that, it pierced my soul to hear the rest because he shared this, this gospel, this message of Jesus, this story and for the first time, it was like I saw through crystal clear eyes that I wasn't good enough. I was broken. I recognized that no matter how good I tried to be, I, I, could, never, I could never measure up. I could never be enough. I, I needed God's help. And then here's what I heard. And he gave it. God gave it. Jesus died for my sin. He paid for me, and he invited me to follow him. And I was being offered a choice. I could walk with God wherever that took me, and I had no idea where that was going to take me. Or I could continue on the path I was on. I remember sitting there, and, and it was in an old-fashioned church with pews. We were in this youth event, which I'm still, I laugh about, because if the people in the church knew what we were doing, they would have shut us down. But that's, that's a different story. I was sitting in that pew, and I, I knew that God he, he was calling me to follow him, Jesus was, and that if I did so, it was going to change everything. And I was so nervous. And I told you before, and I was a wimp because I was like, oh, they, they, it was old-fashioned. You know, everybody come forward. You were not allowed to fo follow Jesus unless you came forward, you know. And, and so you come forward to follow Jesus. And I was like, I wanted to, but I was scared. I was sitting next to my friends. You know, I was in 10th grade or 11th grade or something, and, and I didn't want to be embarrassed. And I was just so nervous. And then my best friend got up and walked to the front. And when I saw him get up, it gave me the courage and I got up and I walked to the front and my, my, the small group leader of my age group in our church saw me and he was like, come and he talked to me in the back and I gave my life to Jesus that day. And everything changed. You know what's weird is for my friend, my best friend who went down, nothing changed in his life. And I remember it was about six, seven, eight months later, we just weren't hanging out with each other as much. And over time, it just, I mean, we were friends still, but we just didn't have as much in common. And I always looked back on that and I wondered what in the world was going on. And then one day, um, it was probably about five years ago, we ran into each other and um, just like 
in Lakeland. He didn't live there and neither did I, but we just happened to both be visiting on the same moment. Ran into each other in, in a Publix or something and started talking. And I, I asked him, I said, do you remember that day? Uh, you know, and do you remember that event? Because he's the one who invited me to the event. And he was like, you know, not, not too much. And I was like, yeah, this is what happened. And I told him we were sitting there and they talked about Jesus and I, did, I wanted to go and I was scared. But then he got up and that gave me the courage to go. And he's like, I don't remember that at all. Maybe I had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you having to go to the bathroom changed my life. <laughs> Thank you. You know, so maybe that's why it's really easy for me to say I'm broken, because I know I am a follower of Jesus because a guy had to go to the bathroom, you know, <laughs> and that all, my whole future hangs on that one event. Maybe. I don't know. But when I chose to follow Jesus that day, it did change everything. And in the same way, see, I think that's, when, when Paul was sharing that message with those Greeks, there was a lot going on and they were thinking about it and, you know, Greeks were very rational people and they were thinking, it does kind of make sense, but, but what about, and but what about, and but what about, but then there's that draw. There's that thing inside that you go, this is the ring of truth. God wants me to follow him. No matter what it takes, no matter what it changes, and they were compelled, and they said yes. And what's crazy is that as Paul is in Greece sharing about a Jewish Messiah, more Greeks were coming to follow Jesus than Jews. And it made a lot of people really angry. That's verse 5. It says, but other Jews, they were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, they formed a mob, and they started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house, and we don't know who Jason is, but obviously the first century church did because Luke didn't tell us anything about him. So they, they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring, out, to bring them out of the crowd. So you have a lot of religious people here who are like a lot of typical religious people. Their character did not reflect the faith that they claimed because they were, they were actually manipulating the crowds in, in, in ways that were, were not faith-like. And so since, um, and then he continues, Luke continues, but when they did not find Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the city officials shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. We've heard about what they did out back east and they caused a mess everywhere they went, but now they're here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. Look at this. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. This, do not overlook this point. Luke, the writer of, of Acts, is making a huge point here. Because like we said before, for Paul, the gospel was the story of Jesus but not just about the promised Messiah of Israel, not just about a crucified and risen Savior, but he is also the one who now reigns as king. That's what is meant by the saying that you hear over and over in churches, over and over in scripture, that Jesus Christ is Lord. One of the most powerful, packed statements you could ever make, that Jesus Christ the Messiah he is Lord. See, in the Roman world, there was this common saying that everybody knew. Caesar is Lord. That was the reigning statement of the day. Everybody knew it. Everybody said it. 
Caesar is Lord. And Paul is now declaring Caesar has a rival, a rival, some competition. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah is king, not just of the Jews. He is king of the whole world. See, this was, you can imagine, I mean, Paul is going against Caesar. This was so highly subversive that I think that's the reason that half of Paul's letters were written in jail. Because they did not like this. And because of Paul's message, it says that when, when, uh, when they heard this, when the crowds heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into a turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. And verse 10 says, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas, whom nobody could find, <laughs> and he sent them away to a city called Berea. And on arriving there, what'd they do? They went to the Jewish synagogue. So you have a new town, you have new people, and let's look what happens, because it's a pretty good story. It says in verse 11, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And what happened? Verse 12, as a result, many of them believed as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. You know, how rare is it to share with a group of people who say, listen, we've never heard this before and we're listening. We're open to the possibility that what you're saying is true, but you need to allow us some time to study the scriptures to make sure that what you're saying is true so that we can understand how this all fits together. Who says that? That is like every pastor's dream, I would hope. You know, to have a people say, hmm, I don't know. Let me study. Let us study together and let's make sure what you're saying is true. And they did. And many were convinced what Paul was saying was, was true. And many chose to give their allegiance to Jesus Christ as Lord and as King, no matter what it would cost, and for some it cost their head, no matter where it would lead, and for some it cost them, it, it, it challenged them, it, it, it motivated them, called them to leave and go with Paul and to go all around to share this amazing story. See, the Bereans, what happened in Thessalonica, what happened in Berea, this is a powerful story. And it's funny, as I read this, I was like, gosh, there's a lot here. I only have an hour and a half to preach it. So what, what can, I'm just kidding. What can I do? What, what are some of the applications? And the two that jumped out at me the most, I wanted to share with you. Two ways to apply this to our lives. One is from Paul and one is from the Bereans. So I'm going to jump back real quick all the way back to verse 2. Because it says that, you know, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days in Thessalonica, he reasoned with them. He reasoned from the scriptures. Now, as I was doing my study, I found that this word reasoned, it's a Greek word that I, I won't even say to you, but it's a very unique word in the New Testament. And in fact, this is the first time that this word is ever used in the book of Acts. And it's really hard to translate because there's no one-for-one -one word on this one, but it, it kind of has the aroma or the feel that, that it's talking about dialogue or discussion. See, it's, it's not like what's happening right now. This word reasoned is not a, a, a presentation or a lecture or a sermon. It, it's, it's more of, of people wrestling with stuff together. It's not like in the East where in the synagogue, there would be, you know, the rabbi would speak and then they would wrestle with it later a lot. <laughs> they love to wrestle. 
But this is like, no, Paul was sitting down with them as they were wrestling together. Kind of what I love about this word and because of its use and how it's new is it really implies that Paul changed changed his teaching style to communicate to this new Western culture. Because reasoned with, reasoning, man, the Greeks like to do that. They would sit in Athens for hours just talking about ideas and wrestling together. And somebody would say, hey, I just thought of something nobody's ever heard of. And they'd be like, maybe it's true. Tell us about it. And they would wrestle and they loved this stuff. And so Paul goes from his Jewish culture or his Eastern culture to a Western culture and says, you know, we're going to change some of the way that we present this message so that these people can understand it. See, this is so important because I think some of us, especially those of us who have grown up in the church, we, we kind of think that, that if we change the way we teach, we, we might be changing the message. But that's not a one-for-one. One. That's not always true. That, that changing the way we teach does not necessarily mean that the message has changed at all. The message is the gospel. That's the gospel. And we share it. It's funny. We share it different with our kids than we do with adults. And I'll just tell you, adults, sometimes it's a lot more fun being back with the kids. And because we, on purpose, say, we're going to make this fun for them. We share with Easterners very differently than we share with Westerners. I just moved here from Wisconsin. We'd lived there for four years. Let me tell you, we share it differently in Wisconsin than we do in Florida. Big time. See, we change the way we communicate to help the hearer best understand the message. And it takes work. And it, it's, it's part art, part science. It's hard to figure out. And sometimes it creates some pretty interesting stories. And you don't know this, but we have one of these stories together. I wanted to, you know, last December, um, the pastor search team invited my family to Avalon to see if God was calling me to be your pastor. And we, oh, let me tell you, Rob Choi, um, the guy who set the schedule, he's a Marine. <laughs> because he, I couldn't keep up with his pace. It was exhausting. We talked to so many of you in so short amounts of times that, that like 17 a day, it felt like. And we, we would go to bed and literally be like, good night, and just sleep. And then, you know, on that Sunday morning, I get up, I'm ready. I had to prepare my message earlier because... Lord knows I had no time to read anything while we were doing all the interviews and stuff. And so on Sunday, I get here. And the whole point is I'm going to preach so that you could vote yes or no for me as your pastor. And here's the main instruction I was given. We're in a series called Advent. It was Christmas time, obviously. (laughs) The message for your week is on love. And Don, nope, that was it. That was all I was given. And you're okay, great. I love it. So I prepared the message. I didn't realize that there were going to be different expectations about what Don should wear. I had no idea. I had no idea. So I did know this. There are a lot of videos out there of me preaching messages, you know, prior to being here. And many of those, you know, I I put them in my resume and and the pastor search committee looked at them and some of them were made available to you. And honestly, if you ever just Googled Don Dodge Sermon, Wisconsin or Florida, their first ones that pop up will be there. So I assumed, and you you all know what happens when we assume, I assumed that everybody had probably seen those kind of videos. Let me ask you this. 
guess what I was wearing in every single one of those videos? It's probably not going to be difficult. I was wearing jeans in every single one of them. And so when I came here, I can honestly say I don't think it ever crossed my mind to wear anything different because that's what I had worn since 2003 when we started a church. You know, we found that when we were starting this church, we, were doing, we did our research and we talked to a bazillion people and we found that professionals, which was who our community was at the time, professionals who visited a church for the first time, like unchurched professionals, they, they, we found that they were more at ease in a casual environment than in a real, traditional, everybody dresses up environment. And I assume it's because they dressed up all week long, and on Sunday they just felt it, it, was, just, it was more relaxing. And so we were of church, we started a church passionate about reaching our community, and so we said, listen, let's, let's create a very casual, authentic environment. That's who we are anyway as people, so let's do it. And it worked, we reached a lot of people. But since nobody told me any different, <laughs> On that first Sunday, I wore what I always wear when I preached, jeans. And I didn't know that wasn't normal. <laughs> I, I, it was the first time that I'd ever actually seen one of our services. Um, really bad story shows how non-technical I am sometimes. I actually did go online and watch a couple of like, snippets of your, of, your, of your services. How was I supposed to know I was watching the youth ministry? I, there was no, I had no way of knowing that. And so I was like, everybody wears jeans here. So, you know, some, I, I have laughed a lot because a lot of you have, have told me how shocking it was when I wore, wore jeans that first Sunday. And the funny thing is I had no idea I was being a rebel. I had absolutely no idea. You know, you know what I was thinking? Holy cow. Imagine this. My family's entire future relies on this 35-minute message. Don, don't mess up. That's, that's what was going through my head. Not about jeans. I'm like, okay, get this right. So I know it's a small thing. I know it's, but it is a change in the way the message is delivered. Casual versus, what's the other word? What's the other, you know, traditional, not casual? I don't know. I my personality versus me trying to be somebody that I'm not. It, it, it is a different way of delivering the, the message. But you know what I've heard since I've been here? After the shock, and people laugh, <laughs> so many of you have come up to me and said how glad you are that you feel like, because I'm, a, and I try not to be a junkie or anything, I want to look nice, but that because I'm a little bit more casual, it has made you feel a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more accepted. I've actually heard some of you say it kind of, it, it allows us to, to be what we say we're going to be, a come-as-you-are place, that if you come here and you're not dressed up or you don't have nice clothes or you're just a broken mess, you can come here and know this is a place that will welcome you and love on you. And that's what I want. That is what I want. So for me, it was kind of like, why do I dress this way? Because I feel like it helps some people kind of put down the guard a little bit, to be a little bit more receptive about what God might want to say to them. And that, you know, so that, maybe using humor, it doesn't minimize the significance of faith or church or the scriptures, because I want you to know, I love the scriptures. I love this body. 
and what God is doing in his family. And I love Jesus. And whether I'm wearing jeans or whether I'm dressing up, I hope that that comes across. But we, we want to be intentional about the way we share the message of Jesus. We want to help people understand that to the best possible, right? We want to communicate. Oh, there was no, nobody responded, right? We want to communicate well to people, right? Thank you. Man, you scared me. I'm like, all right, let's go, let's go shopping, honey. Time to get some dress pants. I do own a pair of dress pants. I use them for funerals and weddings. Um, it's true. It's true. You know, we, we live in a community that is surrounded by people who have not really ever been to church. They don't know the religious words we use, and they can be completely foreign to them. I believe that our job is to share the message of Jesus with the outside world in a way that they can understand. I believe everybody is a missionary. Whether you are overseas or here, we are all missionaries. And what missionaries do is translate the hard concepts, the ancient concepts in Scripture, and translate them so people can understand them today. And religious words are often foreign, so I always try to use words that, that people can understand. Church, if you ever wonder, I know the big words. I do. I know the big words. But I would rather use words like becoming more like Jesus than the word sanctification because when I say becoming more like Jesus, almost everybody in this room knows what I'm talking about. But when I say sanctification, there's probably 10 or 15% who do, and maybe I'm not being fair. Maybe it's 70%. But there's a lot of people who don't know what that means. I use the term follower of Jesus way more often than I use the term Christian. Why? Because if I went around Avalon Park and, and said to people, what comes to your mind when you think of the word Christian? We wouldn't like all of the things that come to people's mind. What comes to your mind when you think follower of Jesus? Hmm. Because it is amazing. The church in America often doesn't have a great reputation, but Jesus does. You go anywhere and you start asking about what people think about Jesus and you're going to find that his name is doing just fine, but our name, not so much. So, so we, want to, we want to be like Paul. We want, to, we want to communicate in a way that people understand. Does that make sense? All right, second thing and then we're done. Um, there was something in verse 11 that I thought was interesting. It says that the Berean Jews were no, more noble character, which I just think is so funny when they read that. They're like, yes, we are. And... Um, <laughs> especially than those in Thessalonica because, you know, that was like the city up the road. And, you know, you can just imagine the rivals. And, uh, you know, as a Dolphins fan, if, if somebody in New York ever said, those Dolphins, they're a great team. And, you know, and a Jets fan was reading that, you know, the Dolphins fans are like, yes, that's right, we are. So anyway, that, that's just take that or leave it. It doesn't matter. Um, so they received the message with eagerness. And examine the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. This is astounding on two levels, especially for the church in America. Do you realize what this is saying? That the Bereans, they recognized and admitted that they didn't know everything. Have you ever heard people say that in church? I haven't heard it much. <laughs> we don't know everything. And secondly, when they heard a new idea, they were willing to put in the work to verify that that message, the message of Jesus, was true. Do you realize how rare it is to find people hum enough, humble enough to realize or recognize that they don't know everything, that they don't have a corner on truth, and that they could actually learn from those who are different? See, people like labels. 
And Jesus followers, we're the worst. We love our camps. Oh, I'm, I'm Calvinist. I'm Armenian. I'm Reformed. I'm not Reformed. I'm liberal. I'm conservative. It's like, that's what separates denominations today. Being in a camp is okay. It's not bad to be in a camp. We just real, need to realize that none of us, no camp has the corner of all truth. That we, we don't have it all figured out. That's why we need each other. We don't have it all figured out. We can learn from each other. We should learn from each other, but we still need to do our homework because you don't want just any, any idea coming in and us just running from one idea to another. The, the Bereans, they were willing to listen to Paul, but they didn't just accept the teachings. They, they examined them thoroughly in the scriptures. So know what you believe because there are a lot of crazy ideas out there. Know what you believe. Know why you believe it. That's one reason I think that we're, we need to be a part of a family because in this room are a lot of godly people with a lot of different perspectives. There are wise people in this room about certain aspects of scripture and then other people who are wise in other areas because nobody, that's a big book. Nobody has it all figured out. But there are a lot of people who have figured out a lot more than me or you in certain areas. So be, be open to the fact that you might not be right about everything. But then be willing to deal with the tension of listening to other ideas and then doing the homework to weigh them out and see if they're true. Some of us, we do receive ideas too quickly and too easily. And I can think of some people in my life who it's like you talk to them at one time and they're like so passionate about the blood moons or the weird stuff in Revelation. And, da, da, da. and it's, yeah, it's so great, it's so great. And then a year later, you're talking to them and they're, they're all about this, this new thing, you know, this new idea over here. And I, I'm sorry, I had one, but I lost it. But it's, it was awesome. There's this new idea over here and they're just passionate about it. And then a little while later, they're passionate over here and you're like, man, don't be like that. A lot of us are. A lot of us are. And, you know, when we see, we see churches, we see you know, evangelists on TV and stuff, basically talking about how if you, God wants everybody to be happy and wealthy and everything to go well. And if you will just, if you would just have faith and plant a seed of faith and give our organization $100, you'll see blessing. And, and they're right, you'll see a lot of blessing, $100 at a time going into that organization. But that was supposed to be funny because it's terrible <laughs> that that happens. So we have to be careful. Because when that happens, people are left in debt and their faith is broken. For some, though, it's the opposite. We can get so ingrained in our beliefs that we're not open to the possibility that we might be wrong and we, might, we think we figured it all out. And, and then what happens is everybody who disagrees with me is on the outside. Last story and then we're going to be closing. I went to Israel about, well, a long time ago. And I went with a group of pastors from one denomination, not mine. I was the one guy on, on the out, but man, spending seven days in Israel, walking all the different things that you see, it bonded us tight. And we were talking about so much, and we were, we were brothers and sisters together, and it was a great time. And, um, and we all realized we loved Jesus and loved the scriptures, and just, it, it was awesome. So the last day, we are in the garden tomb, all of us standing there at this empty tomb. Beautiful. I mean, it's a holy moment. And, and the, the leader of the group of that denomination, he says, you know, let's all gather around. We're going we're gonna to spend a time together in communion. And it was, it was going to be powerful. 
And then he walks over to me and he says, hey, would you mind going over there for a little bit? Because our denomination, we're not allowed to have communion with those on the outside. I know, that's what I felt like. <laughs> and so I walked over and I didn't know, I, I don't know if I was mad. I don't know if I was just upset or hurt, but it became obvious to me in that moment, we are not brothers. They do not consider us brothers. I consider them brothers, but I was an outsider. Their beliefs about communion were so rigid that, that they missed the point. The focus is not how we eat the bread and the wine. The focus is that we are coming together as a body, remembering the sacrifice Jesus made. Brothers and sisters doing this together. I don't care what method or juice or wine. I don't care. It is brothers and sisters remembering together. So the Bereans, they teach us that, you know, don't be naive, but don't be prideful. Don't stop learning and growing. Be open to God challenging your beliefs, and especially by other godly people. And never stop investigating the scriptures, but make sure, make sure that you don't have the pride and say, I got it all figured out. Everybody else is just dumb. They don't know what they're talking about. I have figured it out. I'm gonna close with this. I want you to ask yourself, are you somebody who changes your beliefs often? Are you somebody who you read a book and you're like, oh, that's great. And then you read another book and you're like, oh, that's great. And, and, and you, you just change because of a good story or maybe it hits a felt need or do you find your, pas your passion always changing? Because that's not healthy. It's not healthy. I, my best friend in the world gave me a saying that I say all the time. The grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. And stay grounded. Be a part of a family and grow together. Nobody has it all figured out, but we are growing together. But also examine the scriptures. Are you a person willing to examine the scriptures? Are you a person willing to be to allow God to challenge you. So, are you naive? Do you change a lot? Or maybe you're on the other side. Are you not willing to change because you have it all figured out? There's a tension, and I'm not telling you where the tension is because <laughs> I don't know either. I'm still working on it too. There's a tension in the middle. Jesus, I pray, God, that you will help teach us how to be a people who are willing to be challenged by you, that we don't think we have it all figured out all figured it out and, and that we know everything. But also, God, help us to be a people who are not so prideful. We don't want to be naive, Lord, and we don't want to be prideful. We want a people willing to grow, willing to study, willing to investigate, because in the end, it's one thing, Lord, we want to be like you. God, help us to be like you. We love you. In your name we pray.